Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Hey, everybody. Today's podcast is coming to you recorded live in Times Square in New York. We are at the Blackstone Launchpad event called Propel. This is where we bring together about 200 of the very best and brightest entrepreneurial students from the Blackstone Launchpad Entrepreneurial Network. We are working with Blackstone's Charitable Foundation to help over 700,000 college students on dozens of campuses, mostly around the U.S., but around the world as well. And the Launchpad is something that's open to students on those campuses, regardless of major or discipline. We've helped many, many companies through the combination of the Techstars Network and the Blackstone Network. We provide lots of entrepreneurial content and connection for those students. Each year, the Propel event happens where we bring together some of the very best students. We actually are recording this podcast live in front of that audience of some 200 or so great entrepreneurs from these campuses. You can learn more about Blackstone Launchpad at blackstonelaunchpad.org or, of course, at Techstars. Today, we have our very own Josh Hicks, who founded Plated, along with Nick Toronto at the age of Nick was 30. They went through Techstars New York City Accelerator together, then later appeared on ABC's Shark Tank. And they, I think, are Shark Tank's largest exit ever. And, of course, a meaningful Techstars exit as well to Albertsons in 2007 when they sold the company there. So great outcome. Josh is a terrific entrepreneur, and I was thrilled to be able to interview him on the podcast in front of this live audience. Josh has an amazing story uh, of a company called Plated. I'm sure a few people in the room are familiar with Plated. Techstars Accelerator, what year was that? 2013 here in New York City. 2013 here. Wow, that happened quick. (laughs) Um, and at that time it was, uh, two people, three people, something like that. Well, we, we came into the program at probably seven and and the sort of, I mean, it's not a joke because it's true, but the, the sort of running joke was that we left at probably 37 and we had kind of taken over the entire Techstars office and we're, I think, probably stepping on a lot of toes figuratively and literally. Yeah. Space is at a premium uh, in, in New York, especially in an accelerator, as you can imagine. So they want to hear the story. Tell them what Plated is. Tell them a little bit about you know, that founding story. And then you know, fast forward through the years quickly, but sort of what was the outcome of that and where are you today? Yeah. So I'm going to try to give you the brief version. David said I only have a few minutes. And like everybody, when you, when you build one of these, there's a, there's a lot of detail and a lot of stories and a lot of stuff that's, uh, that's fun. But at least at a high level, I got together with my one co-founder, Nick Taranto. We had met at business school four years before so we got together in 2012 to build something. So for us, it was very much team first, idea second. We had no idea what we were going to do. We spent about six months figuring it out. Obviously, landed on plated. A lot of very bad ideas along the way. 
So we got started in the summer of 12, just the two of us, two guys literally on a couch, no garages here in New York, so it's a couch, but you know, got going pretty quickly. There was a lot of demand, although I will say, you know, Plato was my third company. The first two were by no means, you know, huge or successful in any way. So this is very much a case of the overnight 15-year success. Plato did take off quickly. We went into Techstars nine months later. And well, let me tell you a little bit about you know, what we're doing and, and what we are for those that, that haven't heard. So Plato is really is really, and it's now owned by Albertsons, the Albertsons family of grocery stores. It's a service that delivers all the portioned ingredients to help you cook at home. That's what we do, although it is you know, broadened today. The intent was to help people live better, eat healthier, have better access to perishable food, and really make it easy to do the, the healthy thing of cooking more and eating less uh, you know, prepared food, takeout food, et cetera. And even more in the background, what we were doing was building a modern perishable food supply chain. So a lot of data science, a lot of, you know, really reimagining what the supply chain for a food company looks like. So in any case, we get started, things take off pretty quickly. We are private or independent for about five years. We go from two guys on a couch to about 1,300 employees at the time we exited, a few hundred million in revenue, a lot of stories along the way. I mean... Everybody has challenges. I think that's important. I'm sure you've heard it here, but none of these are easy. I think if anybody tells you that they didn't have at least a few, you know, near-death experiences, they're, they're, they're probably lying or it just hasn't happened yet. Company near-death experiences, although we did have some literal near-death experiences. Nick almost died from pneumonia at one point. We tried to build our own warehouses, also a terrible idea. <laughs> so it was a story of rapid growth of a lot of people growth, uh, which was, I think, you know, very much a blessing in the sense that we got to learn to build and manage a large organization. Uh, it was a challenge for sure. Neither of us had ever done that. We had had various experiences managing very, you know, much smaller groups of people, but it was, you know, very quick and very, you know, sort of rapid growth because there was a lot of pent up demand. And I think there was a lot to sort of unpack there in terms of product market fit and, you know, how we thought about growing the business and trying to be deliberate about not growing too fast, not raising too much money. There's a lot in there, and, and I know we're going to do some Q&A, so maybe leave, leave some room there. It's a hot topic today, not raising too much money and, and actually building a fundamental business. can't imagine business. why. <laughs> you know, you, you went to undergrad for engineering. I did. Electrical engineering, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, awesome. And then Harvard uh, Business after that? Harvard Business School, uh, five years after undergrad. You see the reception you get for that? It's amazing. I went, I, went to, I went to UCF. Leading the witness. See, much better. Obviously, uh, much warmer reception for that school. They're on the list. That's why. I knew, I knew they would be here. So, I want you to think back, Josh, to you know early in your career. Right, this this room is, is full of people that you know are relatively early in their careers generally, and the idea of of someone you know maybe being helpful to you early in your career that maybe gave you a piece of advice or some feedback that actually helped you a lot. Any stories like that that you could share with the room? I've got, I've got tons, but there's maybe, maybe one I would share. So went to Georgia Tech. I graduated in 03, starting to feel like a very long time ago. Wish I was still in your shoes. But in 2003, uh, to set the context, you know, the sort of world was really not yet fully out of the, the post, you know, dot-com crash. 
people were not generally very excited about software businesses. Entrepreneurship was not a sexy thing. There was not a lot of conferences like this going on, which, by the way, doesn't mean in any way that uh, myself and my co-founders were, were, were sort of seeing something everybody else wasn't. It just means that we were very, very naive, which can be a good thing. But we started a company in 2003 in Atlanta. It was a, a bad time in a bad place, quite honestly. There was no venture ecosystem in Atlanta. There were literally no professional investors. All of the angel investors were, were real estate folks and, and were people that were they're very smart, but you know, had, had come up in a different industry and therefore couldn't be helpful to us. So there's a, there's a contrast here. As I think back, and, and, and the older I get, the more apparent this is to me, the complete lack of mentorship or of people that could be mentors was a huge reason that the company, you know, never got huge, never was, you know, successful by traditional metrics. I got a lot out of it and, and there's a lot there, but it, it never grew to be very huge. There was one person though that I met through a, a college friend, the father of a college friend actually, who was a public company executive. So much, much older. I'm 21. I've never had a real job. I know nothing. I still feel like I don't know much, but I really knew nothing back then. And this guy, you know, sort of took me under his wing. Absolutely no reason for him to, to care about this 21-year-old kid at all. And, and for that matter, he wasn't a software executive. You know, he'd been inside of actually food brands for a, for a long time, but was tremendously helpful to me. Not, uh, you know, not teaching me, you know, sort of software development or any of the things that you, you might have questions about today, but more the, the broader how to build a business, how to be a manager, how to be a leader, how to be a good person. You know, he's got three kids, one of whom, you know, was the, the way that I sort of got to know him that are phenomenal human beings and yet was a public company executive, which again, the older I get, the more I appreciate how difficult that is. Yeah. And he actually went on, you know, years and years later to become the CEO of the company when I went off to, to Harvard. So why was he helping when you were 21 and, you know, it was totally random? Like, what, what was that person's motivation to actually help you in that way? I, I can't imagine there was any motivation other than just he enjoyed helping. So you, you see that a lot, right? I mean, that's a lot of Techstars mentors that tell you, yeah, I'm not here to invest. I'm, I'm not here to, you know, find a job. I just like to help and be around smart people. And so it came yeah. back to this person much later when you had a CEO opening in that company. And that ended up being the person that you hired, but that there was no motivation to do that, which I, I find is just a, a random way that the system gives back to somebody for being helpful. Absolutely. You, you mentioned, you know, you learned about leadership in that context early on. And, you know, I have to imagine as, as, as plated went from seven to, you said 1300 people, uh, you know, you were managing a small team early on. And, you know, I talked to Nick uh, before this and, and uh, your co-founder at plated. You know, as it grew to 1,300 people, you know, the exit uh, happened eventually. It was, a, it was reported around 200 million, I think, the exit value. Uh, that's a hack that we used to not confirm uh, these things. <laughs> it was reported. That's true. And so, obviously, a you know, an amazing ride. But leadership, Nick talked a lot about watching you go from, you know, kind of a, a geeky focused problem solver tech guy to a real leader in the company. So talk a little bit about that evolution and how the company helped you do that. It's always a, a, a uncomfortable thing for me to talk about myself. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to tell you what I think Nick would say if you were here, although he'd be much more enthusiastic, which is really, I think kind of the point, you know, so Nick, you know, 
it is still to this day and, and for the rest of my life, I, I hope will be one of my best friends, but we're very different people. Nick is the, the sort of, you know, caricature of a charismatic, you know, tall, outgoing, you know, loud guy. And I have always been a introverted engineer. I think I've outgrown some of that, or at least learned to fake it in settings like this, but that is definitely my, my natural personality. Um, <laughs> and I think that it's, so I guess, you know, the first point there is maybe it's learnable for anybody in the room, anybody listening that is sort of worried about that stuff. It is learnable. I think most things, maybe everything is, is learnable, at least to a degree. You may not be the best in the world at, at any given skill, but it is learnable. I learned a lot of that from Nick. You know, I think that we started out as, at least, you know, in, in this way, as polar opposites and learned a lot from each other. I think what he'd tell you if he was sitting here is that he started out very impulsive, very, you know, sort of emotional and learned to be more even keel over the years. The contrast to that was I learned to be in the right settings more open and more emotional. And, you know, it turns out that people want to see that in their leaders. And I say, you know, it turns out because it's obvious, but it wasn't sort of, you know, default for me. And this transition from, you know, management to leadership, and there are infinite number of books and, and people that are smarter than I that have written about this, but the way that I always thought about it and the way that, you know, Nick and I kind of talked about it was this notion of management being building the company, the mechanical stuff, helping people be better at their jobs. That's not enough though. The leadership part is inspiring people, helping them connect to the mission at an emotional level. And sometimes it's stuff that, again, as, as a you know, geeky engineer, feels irrational. It's like, why do you need somebody to get up and sort of give the rah-rah speech? But sometimes people just need that. And, and I suspect that everybody you know, knows that at some level. And it was something I certainly had to, to learn and, and learn to value and then learn to do. I think, uh, you know, you discover throughout your career generally that there's sort of, you know, there's the boss, you know, there's the manager and there's the leader and they're very different things, right? So, you know, some things you're talking about are, are, are management, right? Keeping the schedule and, you know, you know, reviewing people, giving them feedback, all these things. Leadership is that inspiration. And that I find is much harder, especially for people like us that sort of start, you know, I was a coder, right? Uh, but to be able to stand up on a stage and get, you know, hundreds of people excited about, you know, what's next in the mission and understanding how it all connects, that's really a challenge. And so, you know, I think you were sort of forced into it with a company that's growing so fast. So pretty amazing. Yeah. Nick also talked about this, this thing that y'all would say to each other throughout the, the building of the company. The world is a joke. Uh, the world is a joke.com. You would send an email. I don't know if that's a real website. We're, we're driving traffic to it, whatever it is. So I hope yeah. it's good. But what pretty you, sure someone owns it. I don't what, think it's being used. What, what was that? Why were y'all, what was that thing between you that you were sort of sharing? So this was a this was a, a an inside joke, I suppose, from the early days that was really meant to just reflect this idea that strange things happen in the world, you know. And it it was applied in a lot of settings, but you know, we'd sort of see things, and and sometimes it was meant in a serious way. We'd see competitors or other companies raising tons of money when we had deep conviction that there there were, you know bad foundations in some of those businesses or, you know, they were not good businesses or investors would call us and say, Hey, what do you think about this thing? And we'd say, I, I don't get it. You know, I, I, you know, 
I don't have all the answers for sure, but I don't see how this business works. You know, the, the unit economics are wrong or, or whatever it is. And then the next day you'd sort of, you know, open TechCrunch and that company's raised a hundred million dollars. And we're like, the world's a joke.com. Like this, this can't be real. And sometimes we were right. Sometimes we weren't, but yeah. uh, it was our way to just sort of relieve the tension around some of these things that were, uh, that were crazy. We see it too. Yeah. I, I might use that domain. I wonder what's at that domain. We should get it and set up, you know, cause this is the thing right now, right? Um, you know, you've got the sort of WeWork story in the news, you know, versus a, a business maybe that is lesser known, you know, convene, uh, indu- industrious that maybe have, uh, you know, fundamentally solid businesses, but haven't had the headlines. And it seems like we're in a, a point in history, right? Where we're, learning as an industry in venture capital that, you know, you need good fundamentals or these things will eventually fall apart. Or maybe relearning. Yes. Well, I'm sure that, yeah, this is not the first time we'll, we'll learn that lesson, but you, you really see it happening and playing out right now. You know, we'll talk about this. Happy to cut it from the podcast if you don't like the topic and I'll surprise you with it. But, you know, you, you had a competitor uh, early on that, that maybe is more people would know. Blue Apron. Haven't heard of it. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, th- th- there's actually an early story around this because I think uh, you guys knew them or uh, Nick knew them. I'm not sure exactly what the story was. <laughs> I don't know if that's who you're referring to, um, and I don't want you to you know beat them up. But but that that is a, a sort of interesting one, right? Because that went into the public market, and I think you know on some level had some challenges. You know, any thoughts on you know how you dealt with that early competitor that had all that? sort of attention, how you thought about it, were they the world is a joke subject? <laughs> so I'm going to answer this slightly differently. We had a lot of competitors, yeah. right? Over the years, it became an incredibly crowded category. I, I think that the media sort of overdid that angle, but in any case, there were a, a number of competitors and, and a lot of you know, venture capital, a lot of investment that flowed into the space. And we did have to, to manage this, you know, both, I think, starting with ourselves, Right, because certainly we had those moments of, you know, waking up in the morning and, and sort of, oh my God, how you know we're, we're never going to be able to compete, we're never going to be able to raise again, and and those were real fears. We did have a hard time raising almost every time, in large part because of you know the competitive landscape. More importantly, or, or you know, sort of the next part of that anyway, was we then had to help the employees. So you know, another example of sort of the leadership topic not be afraid of what was going on either. And more than not be afraid, we had to try, and I think we succeeded, to help them understand what was going on so that they could have confidence in our strategy. You know, we actually had our CFO, who uh, was a phenomenal exec, is, is, is still you know, a very close friend and was with us for almost the whole ride. I mean, he, he came on probably year, year two and left in you know, year seven. He had spent a bunch of time at Living Social, and so had lived through another, you know, meteoric rise of an industry and then a not, you know, great ending really for either of the two big companies, Groupon or Living Social. Worse for Living Social, but it's a whole other sort of story to unpack. We actually had him tell as part of onboarding. So every employee heard this, his own story of showing up there being, I think they were spending $40 million a month on, on Facebook or something roughly like that when he showed up which I'm not even, yeah, I see the faces in the room. I'm not even sure that you could do that anymore. <laughs> Maybe Russia could. Ta- they would take it. They would t- <laughs> someone wanted to give it to them, they would take it. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't end well, 
But there was this, this arms race of valuations and raising money and everything else. And, you know, he told the story through his own personal lens and how, you know, sort of raising these giant sums had, you know, actually prevented them from selling to, they had gotten an offer for around 800 million, I believe, you know, a few years in, which would have been a huge outcome, except that six months before that, they had raised a $6 billion valuation and just, you know, was not a good outcome for anybody. And we use that as a way to, to among other stories, try to ground people in a, a strategy of be smart about how you raise, you know, just because you can isn't a reason to do something. It's maybe the worst reason to do something, which is to say, just because somebody offers you an insane valuation doesn't mean you should take it. You probably shouldn't take it. It comes with, you know, sort of consequences down the road. And in any case, we just had to try to help people, you know, come into work every day and not be scared of what was happening in the competitive landscape. Not to ignore them, not to turn a blind eye, but to understand and, and, and hopefully have, you know, confidence in our strategy. Kind of focus on what you can control, right? I think the dynamic today is the venture market is three times bigger than it used to be. There's capital cannons from the soft banks of the world, from TPGs, right, that can build a really, you know, capitalized competitor very quickly, but you can't control that. If you can build a fundamentally good business, you can still win. I got a rapid fire for you. I'm going to ask you some quick questions. I want quick uh, answers, just maybe 30 seconds or so, if that's okay with you. Right. We like to do this at, at the end of the podcast. And if we have time, maybe we'll take one or two questions from the room. Do you have a favorite city in the world that you think everybody should visit? Oh, man. I'm traveling full-time right now, so I'm spending time in a lot of cities. Maybe just something recent that isn't something that uh, you probably get answers to a lot. I spent some time in a little town outside of Tokyo recently called Hakone, which was just absolutely beautiful, um, sort of, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll butcher the terms, but, you know, kind of a little mountain town, you know, a lot of uh, sort of traditional Japanese, you know, ryokens, spas built on top of the hot springs. Just one of the most peaceful places I've ever been in the world and a phenomenal place to be after seven years of 100-hour weeks. And, and for those who don't know, you're traveling full-time right now. You're here totally on a give-first basis. This you, you literally came in to hang out with us and do this, so... Uh, we appreciate that. Give first as well. How about a book you've read recently that you think everybody in the room would benefit from? I'd have to say Bottle of Lies, which is, I think, newly out maybe in the last couple of months. And it's really this, it's the story of the generic drug industry. And, and I'm personally fascinated with culture and, and, and sort of what that means and, and how it is sort of expressed in company building, certainly, you know, but in other contexts as well. And it's just the story of these really, I think, sort of rotten to the core companies that are making generic drugs that are in, you know, sort of all the world markets that have been seemingly completely fraudulent and is a, a terrifying but really fascinating story. Awesome. Last quick question. Um, a lot of us are here because of the incredible generosity of a charitable foundation. What charitable foundation or organization do you think people should take a look at? Uh, you have a favorite? There's a lot that I've been sort of looking at recently, but for a bunch of reasons, I'm, I have some personal connection to a lot of the glaucoma foundations. I don't know that I could name one specifically, but it's an area of, uh, of sort of passion and interest for me. Awesome. It sounds like we've overrun the time. No time for questions, or do we have a, a little bit? Yeah, maybe if there's one burning question for Josh, we'd love to take it. Sorry, I overran time a little bit. Yeah. Hi, well, thank you so much, both of you. I have a quick question. You've, throughout the talk, kind of mentioned 
certain venture-backed companies IPOing and not doing as well as expected, and kind of the soft banks of the world coming out and saying, well, it's no longer pie-in-the-sky ideas, but revenues a focus. So as entrepreneurs who are potentially seeking venture, what strategies would you recommend for going into a, a VC meeting, given the current climate? She has to be point at me. Um, <laughs> I, I think the most important thing is to be yourself and be who you are as an entrepreneur. You know, there are certainly valid strategies that are all about high growth, but but make sure you have a real story and real belief around how you can become a sustainable business and not just be dependent on that capital because they are very focused on that now. And remember that that late stage capital is very different from that early stage capital. There are a lot of, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be an early Uber investor, right? Uh, you know, the stock is, is really, really down, right? It's not done well in the public market, but we're in it under a penny. So we don't care. That's been a great outcome for us. But, you know, SoftBank's upside down on it, right? So there's just a totally different mentality between the early and late stage. But be who you are. I think that's the key. I get to ask a question. You do. You, you definitely get to ask a question. <laughs> What's your next business? What's my next business? Is it food? I don't know. I'm, I'm working on figuring that out. I think there's a lot of opportunity in food. Uh, it's certainly, you know, more crowded than it was when, when Plato got started. That said, there's a lot wrong with, with food and supply chain and its impact on health and, and you know, sort of this concept of food as medicine uh, is, is fascinating to me. So I'm, I'm figuring it out. I, I would love to tell you, don't know yet. Am I a foodie? I would say no. At least in the sense that I think that term is usually meant, which is sort of this notion of really kind of indulgent gourmet, you know, food. Don't get me wrong. I love food as much as the next person. I love, you know, sort of nice restaurants and, and the experience and the, the social nature of all that. But I think that a lot of kind of foodie culture is also connected to a lot of the health problems, quite honestly. Uh, and that's a whole you know, epidemic that I don't think we have time to get into. As an investor, I always say people got to, and here, people got to eat. It's true. So it's a good thing to invest in food businesses. <laughs> they don't have to do everything. Thank you for all you do to give first uh, in the context of Techstars and, and to the world. Um, it's noticed. It's appreciated. I heard so many stories that we couldn't get to today about how you're helping others. Uh, and they, they all wanted me to talk about them, but I didn't have time because there were so many. But thanks for being here on the show. And thanks for being here with all of us today. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First. <laughs>